welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I spoke to the lovely Mika Simmons. Uh, Mika is an actress and podcaster and she uh, set up Lady Garden Foundation um, and done lots of activism around um, women's health. It was great to talk to her. We know each other from way back doing an acting job together. Uh, I think we met doing yeah an acting workshop that we were working on for a feature film. And uh, it's been so nice to keep in touch with her over the years and see all of her charity and campaigning work. And uh, her podcast is called The Happy Vagina. And she's had people like Dita Von Tees and Gwyneth Paltrow on. It's pretty cool, right? Um, Dita, if you're listening, or Gwyneth, love you on this pod if you fancy it. But Mika was super open about her experience of relationship. She's not been divorced herself, but she's been in love and trying to extricate herself from those relationships is how she puts it. it, has been quite difficult at times and how that can lead into maybe relationships that aren't 100% right for you at the time. And she also talks about kind of betrayal being a theme in her life and perhaps betrayal running in your DNA if your ancestors have experienced it. So we have a great kind of honest chat um, about her parents' separation and divorce as well. So enjoy this one. I am joined by Mika Simmons, actress and host of The Happy Vagina. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Hello, Samantha Baines. Thank you so much for having me on. You're so welcome. How do you feel being on The Divorce Social? I feel like an imposter. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not divorced, are you? No. And I was thinking, 
in preparation to come and have this chat with you. I was thinking, wow, why haven't I got married? <laughs> why don't I have a divorce? How does that happen? How do you get a divorce? I don't have one of those. <laughs> That's fine. I don't think we've ever had someone who's like, oh, why don't I have a divorce so I can come on this <laughs> podcast before? Um, but you have had some breakups in your life, as most of us have. I have, yes. But when I was doing a bit of a kind of brain recce into why I haven't been married, I it's funny, isn't it, Samantha, the stories that we tell ourselves and how we begin to shape our understanding of ourself by unpicking the past and deciding that certain things that happened shaped the decisions that we then went on to make. And I think as someone who's had quite a lot of therapy, that is definitely something that I've done. I've understood the decisions I've made, both the mistakes and the, what's the opposite of a mistake? The successes, uh, the successes. I've somehow allocated them to things that happened in my childhood. And one of the things that I've spoken about a lot um, in in interviews and, and also on the Happy Vagina podcast is that growing up with a mother who was one of the leading campaigners in the second wave of feminism meant that marriage wasn't discussed in my family home. So while at school, I remember noting that my peer group, little school, primary school, were dreaming of wedding dresses and things like that. I didn't have that imaginative vocabulary going on. You know, because when I used to say to my mum, and this is no disrespect to hairdressers, I need to caveat that, but I'd say, mummy, I want to be a hairdresser. And she'd say, why would you want to do that when you can be a rocket scientist? (laughs) Which I think nowadays for women is um, par for the course. I think no matter what your politics or traditional beliefs are, I think that the women's movement has infiltrated every single family home. And most parents are trying to encourage young women, girls to see themselves outside of the patriarchal systems that in the past have restricted us. But for me, I was one of, I was, you know, it was quite, it was quite unique then. Like, you know, we were, we were, we were anarchists. I always find it difficult to talk about this because obviously my mum died when I was 27 of ovarian cancer. And I have done much of my work in, in her honour my activism work is in in her honour to change the face of women's health. One of the greatest understandings that I've come to in terms of the impact of that feminist household is that there was little room for me to discover who I was. And there was little room for me perhaps to allow my inner romantic to come through and dream of getting married because the opinions in my family household were very strong and very anti-establishment. So it took me until being a proper grown-up <laughs> to admit that actually perhaps I would like to get married. And I still feel like that today. I'm, I'm also okay if it doesn't happen. And then, of course, I've had some pretty disastrous breakups that have, along with that, education that I got from my family environment and home. I've had some some hurts that have made me think, oh no, long-term commitment, that's not for me. 
thanks. <laughs> what? Hello, no, thank you. <laughs> That's really interesting about your upbringing. And I think, yeah, anyone who's done therapy, we, we all look back and then we're like, oh, so much of who I am today was formed when I was so young. In your family household, was your mum married? Yes. My mother came from an Irish working class background. My grandmother had a, a council house in Aldershot. She was a nurse. My mother became a nurse because that was the only way she could have any agency over her own life and, and, and an income. That was, that was what was on offer. And she met my father when she was in her 20s. My mum was a mod and my dad was a hippie and my mother was not interested in hippies. But my dad wooed and wooed and wooed and wooed and wooed and, and won her over and they got married because that's what you did then. I don't think even the hardcore feminists in the 19, late 60s, sort of early 70s weren't getting married. I think they still were getting married. That's what everyone did because marriage was the institution that which gave you freedom. And, it, and, it, and, and even today, it does give you some freedoms. I know that there are financial benefits to being married, you know? So that's partly why people did it. And also to have children out of wedlock was back then definitely still considered a sin to the extent that if you were a child at a school without married parents, I suspect there would have been more stigma and shame than there would be today. Yeah. I mean, I come from an Irish Catholic family mm. and, you know, there's lots of stories within our family of babies out of wedlock kind of given away and and all of that. And that was still going on, it sounds like, you know, right up until, you know, the 90s even. Mm. So you came from this kind of uh, hippie, as you called your dad, background, but your parents were married. So you did have an idea of that institution. So what did you think of as marriage? What do you, What was your idea of it from your parents when you were younger, do you think? I did think of it. But what I would share is that when my parents told me they were getting divorced when I was 19, it was the biggest shock now second to losing my mum, but it was the biggest shock of my life because I didn't think about marriage. I didn't understand that this idyllic family unit kind of nuclear we were for. There were me and my brother and, you know, it was literally kind of quite a traditional setup to have parents married and a boy and a girl. And, you know, and I, and I, and when they told me they were getting divorced, my whole world fell apart. Samantha, to such a great extent that I feel almost embarrassed because I was 19. But I, it was the lack of discussion around it that meant that it was such a shock because marriage wasn't something that we talked about. It was they, my mum and dad were just together and then they weren't going to be. And my whole world fell apart. And I remember at school seeing friends' parents divorce and thinking that that was odd. I promise you, I had not even an inkling, a minute inkling that that might ever happen to my family. And, and when it did, it broke me, actually. It really broke me. And do you remember how they told you? <laughs> yes, I do. I was just talking to someone about this the other day and it was not, it was not. I think that's one of the things that's really important is how they, they tell. And so my father had been sleeping in a spare room in our house. And he said it was because he had a bad back and mum and dad were having this blazing argument. And my mum, as she, as was her want, was like, you tell her, 
just tell her. So they're obviously having an argument and bringing me into it. So somehow or other, I was like ammunition or, you know, and, and so what there was to tell me was that they were, that they were actually splitting up and getting divorced. And then the bit that I remember feeling the most devastated by is that my brother had known for six months. So they decided that they weren't going to tell me I'm a sensitive soul, Samantha, as an actress. You know, I'm, I don't take bad news well. <laughs> I am, like, definitely a bit oversensitive. I've got better as I've got a little older, but they were trying to protect my A-levels, essentially. So they were trying to protect Mika so she could get through her exams the best way that she could without any kind of, like, you know, hysteria or, like, rocking the boat at home. And it was that my brother had known for six months that, that actually sent me over the edge because it felt like a betrayal and betrayal is something that I have experienced a phenomenal amount of in my life. And I don't know how much of the response to it is mine. You know, they say that you inherit quite a lot of DNA from grandparents and just coming back to what you were talking about, about people being born out of wedlock My grandmother married a Swedish Canadian soldier during the war. And when she went to join him and had my mum, they got married, they had my mum. And when she went to join him, once the war ended, he was already married. So my grandmother was betrayed and my mother actually was sent back to Ireland because of the, the shame about my mother being born out of wedlock. Wow. For the first I think five or six years of her life, she was in Ireland with her cousin, Annie, on the farm. And then my grandmother remarried and brought my mum back. And then they had loads of kids because we're Irish Catholic. But it's it's funny, you know, because I wonder how much my choices, because I've had more than one partner who's cheated on me, and how much my reaction to betrayal is inherited through an ancestral DNA response to something that may not even be mine. And I, and I don't know how else to say it to you. And it might sound really like woo-woo. And I don't want to say too much about it because obviously there's other family members involved and it's not my place to talk too much about their experience. But I do think that wound for my grandmother, she lived with all of her life, even though she then met someone else and got married, Um, it's like, I just wonder my response to my brother knowing and this kind of secret, the secrets and lies, I'm awful. It's like, I'm terrible with secrets and lies. Like, I do think there's other people on the planet that like, oh, I don't really care what they were doing over there. I can't bear it when I feel like someone's kept something from me. And equally, my response is very north 60. So, of course, people are going to keep things from me because they know that if they tell me, I'm going to go nuts. (laughs) But what I don't know in that moment when my mum and dad told me that not only were they getting divorced, but my brother, Keir, had known for six months. I don't know how much of that response was because... I'd lived in this deluded, quite utopian atmosphere. We were, you know, my family were kind of like freedom fighters. We were, we went on demonstrations and I just, it was idyllic. It was like these people, these grown-ups in my life, my parents presented to me an, an image of us about solidarity and about commitment and about hope 
And then they were getting divorced. So I don't know if it was that or the fact that my brother knew before me that sent me over the edge, but it did send me over the edge. I then went raving for a whole year and didn't go home. Wow. I know. (laughs) Well, it is really interesting you talking about this because I knew my parents were splitting up before my little sister because she was also doing her exams. (gasps) Yeah. No way. I said to my parents... I'm not lying to my sister. So I'm not going to randomly blurt it out. But equally, if she asks me if there's something going on, I'm not going to lie. So you have to tell her. But yeah, it's interesting. What happened? No, 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 you can't leave it there. So then what happened? I can't even really remember. I think they did tell her, but they they wanted to wait till the end of her exams. It's similar so that they didn't want to mess up her exams. But in hindsight, I'm like, well, the weird family environment probably was going to mess up her exams more than like not knowing. Um, But it's funny you talk about that because I've never thought about it from that perspective of her thinking I was keeping something from her. But actually... it's I'd be interested to know if you've ever spoken to your brother about that because... I was obviously wanted to protect my sister, but equally I was like, I'm not lying to my sister. So I was sort of instigating them telling her as well. I probably have spoken to my brother about it and probably he'll be like, well, that isn't what happened. Yeah. (laughs) It is funny, the stories we tell ourselves. (laughs) The stories we tell ourselves, yeah. Sometimes you find something out and you're like, oh, well, that changes everything I've been believing (laughs) for the last 30 something years. I know. And also, you know, Samantha, slight tangent, but, you know, I've actually recently been diagnosed with ADHD and I'm not, I'm not hugely ADHD, but I've gone to therapy to work out kind of why I have commitment issues because I do. And, and I've created this entire like map of like what it is about me that on my past, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, but it might just be that the ADHD is the reason I responded so strongly to things. And it might be that the reason I find it really difficult to have like very, very long term, like 20 year relationships is because I've got a sprinkling of ADHD. So I might have just spent an absolute fortune on therapy. Um, I can laugh about it. I, I think, you know, I think I've come through so much of the pain that I was holding about some of these circumstances. And I think with breakups and relationships and love and sex and when, when you, and, and family relationships too, not, not just um, intimate uh, romances. I think when you come out the other side, you can laugh about it, can't you? It's important to laugh. Otherwise you'd cry all the time. <laughs> so your parents got well separated and you said that devastated you and then you went raving for a year. So after that, how did relationships go for you and is there one in particular breakup that was impactful I mean my first love I truly believe was when I was about eight or nine and it was with Andrew Puddicombe who is the founder of Headspace amazing (laughs) and what I remember is that we I remember getting married to him in the backfield. He was my best friend. I mean, you know, this was a a platonic love affair, but I loved him a great deal. And I think we got married in the backfield of the school that we went to together in in the West Country. And I just 
was very happy having this best friend. We'd go for tea at each other's houses. And then one day we got a new girl to the school called Sally Mason. And she had a very high ponytail. And almost immediately his attention was diverted. <gasps> you know, I mean, it had an impact. And then I, and then I had another relationship in my early teens with someone. And I was thinking about this and it's not, it wasn't a significant breakup, but I do feel that it goes some way to explaining why I've struggled to let anybody really in. And I had a relationship in my early teens with someone who was a little older than me. So I think I was 14 and he was a little older. And I think he was my first love. And obviously it was a teenage relationship. I know that, but I I fell for him in a way that I hadn't before. And I went on holiday and I said to my best friend at the time, as a joke, keep an eye on him for me. And when I came back, it transpired that they got together. Your best friend. Mm. <sighs> That's a big betrayal. And that relationship actually grew out of when I started secondary school, I had this lovely boyfriend at school who was in my brother's year, the year, year above me. And he turned up at school one day and said, I want to have a break, like very Ross and Rachel. Before wow. Ross and Rachel. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I mean, we weren't even hardly kissing. Like we were like children, but he was like my first boyfriend, not my first love, my first boyfriend. And he wanted a break. And I'd met this other guy on the break. I mean, literally, I do sometimes wonder whether friends stole my story, my life story. But on the, on the break, I met this, uh, this other slightly older boy and, 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 and he cheated on me and we continued dating, but I never forgave him. And I felt, very alone I remember feeling deeply deeply alone and the similar shock that I described when my parents told me that they were getting divorced which was then four or five years later just an inconceivability that this could happen in life and I didn't have the vocabulary then to actually understand that it was a betrayal and the impact of betrayals on our psyche and I remember feeling almost slightly ashamed. It's such a funny thing when you're cheated on because you shouldn't feel ashamed because obviously the person that's doing the cheating should feel ashamed, not you. But I do remember feeling embarrassed about it and ashamed about it. I can totally relate to that. I mean, I, I, I had a boyfriend, I think it was like the first year of uni. And then I went to South Africa um, with my friend from secondary school and we were sort of having a holiday in South Africa and I was telling her all about this cool boyfriend I had and he was like had tattoos and was like you know played in a band that I didn't really like the music off but I had to pretend I did and um and and so we were in South Africa and she actually met this guy when we were on holiday who she's now married to so she was in this like new relationship while we were there and I was talking about my new boyfriend and then he broke up with me by text because because basically he cheated on me with this other girl from the <gasps> bar he worked in. Um, and so he broke up with me. And and I remember, yeah, I felt so embarrassed. Mm. We weren't the ones who'd done the thing, but 
I felt embarrassed that I'd like been bragging about him when actually he was off doing something else. And I felt embarrassed that I didn't know. Well, let's face it, being left brings up feelings of not being good enough. So being left, whether it be someone actually leaving you, as you've just described, or being cheated on, which is a form of leaving, brings up very conflictual feelings around, is it me? And and they are really deeply conflictual because rationally you're going, well, obviously they're the problem, <laughs> not me. But inside the bit of the the bit of you that doesn't feel lovable, which we all have, you know, the dark part where we really don't feel that we deserve love, deep, deep love, which is a lifetime's work to heal somehow. That that separation anxiety that we all carry of of somehow separation from spirit, from a sense that we really deserve our place in the world, in in this world, because we made it. You know, I think that when someone cheats on us or leaves us, it just triggers that massively. So rationally, you're going, well, they're obviously the C-U-N-T, but I feel like I am somehow. Um, Also, I should ask, you said you married Andy Puddicum in a field. Did you ever get divorced from him? Because if not, (laughs) you own half of Headspace. (laughs) Let me get a divorce lawyer on the phone for you. <laughs> and also, yeah. he's probably really calm about life now because he owns Headspace, which is a you know meditating app. But you know, those were childhood, childhood experiences. I think I don't have because I've not been married and divorced although still potentially open to the marriage part, I've had quite significant breakups. I don't think I have one that I could speak about that has impacted me more than the others. What I can see is that every relationship that I have, my choices are getting better. And that while there's a kernel of the same man within the new love or long-term relationship that I get into I can see that there are some similarities they're a better version and that's a really beautiful thing and I'm not good with breakups I mean I'm really not I can tell you that every man so I don't get into a relationship unless I'm really in I'm just reading Toni Morrison's Beloved and one of the lines in it is that it's something about there's only one type of love and that's the the hook, line and sinker love. And that's not true for everyone, Sam. I know people who are in their being, I'm going to say more corporate than me because I don't really know how else to describe it, but they essentially have a list of things that they want in a relationship and they can make that work with someone. They have to like them enough and fancy them enough, but I'm a real romantic. I'm like, I need to feel deeply connected to someone and inspired by them and excited by them for me not to get what I think is commonly being described on TikTok now as the ick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I I need it, I need it all. I really so therefore I've only had, I'd say, four really significant relationships where I've deeply loved the person and therefore coming out of them has been excruciatingly painful. And when I was younger, the breakups would be because we weren't ready or 
you know, circumstances. As I've got older and into my 30s and now 40s, it's because the timing hasn't been right. Those breakups where you still love them, but it doesn't work. Like it was easier in my 20s when we just like, we smashed the shit out of it. And by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, okay, this doesn't work. I'm going. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but grown-up breakups that you're like, right, okay, so this doesn't work because of that. I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm it's like a moth to a flame. I'm I'm like, I I would go back trying to make it work again and again. Well, I think um my divorce was that we still love each other, but it's not gonna work. Um and that's, How did you cope with that? That's <gasps> hard. Yeah, because I remember I always believed love is enough and I've talked about it on the podcast before. And now I know that it isn't, which sounds sad, but mm. I think it's a really important thing to learn. Like you can mm. love deeply and hard, and but actually sometimes it can just not work. And it's not because you don't love each other enough. It's because of all those other factors. And yeah, grown up breakups are really hard. And I used to have dreams. I had these recurring, I don't know if this is a common thing or it's just a me thing, but I used to have these recurring dreams after the breakup that we got back together mm. and then tried to make it work. But every time it didn't work. And I was like reliving all these moments through my dreams. And, and also I think possibly like working some stuff out in my head through my dreams of like no should we get back together and try again and you know and every time I'd make the decision no ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's the ad break. Would you like some divorce social merchandise? Oh yeah. Give me a divorce social tote bag. Give me a divorce social sticker and mug. All right, then. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S. That's my name. And you will get access to be able to join up to our Patreon. That supports the admin costs of the podcast. It also means you have access to merchandise and a 90s style chat room where we talk about divorce and heartbreak and overcoming it and being fierce, amazing humans. 
Don't forget to leave a review of the podcast as well and hit subscribe on all your podcast platforms. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we're on Instagram and Twitter at DivorcePod and I'm at Samantha Baines. Enjoy this advert because it makes me 2p every time you listen. 2p isn't maybe the real amount. I've made that up as an approximation, but thank you anyway. But you've had some pretty high profile breakups. I have. How do you cope with that? With like, well, first of all, how do you cope with dating someone and being in love with someone who's in the public eye? So like your photograph with them and stuff like that. How does that affect the relationship or does it? Yes. It immensely impacts a relationship or it did for me when I was dating James but I think that it was also pre-2008 and the world was a little bit crazy so it was it was when we were in the credit card boom TMZ had just started and this is am I allowed to say this is James Blunt yes of course you can say that We're, we're friends we were friends and then we dated and now we're friends again but also phones were being hacked so so that was the environment that I was dating somebody. And, and also James had really only just become very famous. We'd been friends since about 2001. And I think I thought it was a friendship. And then there was this moment where we thought maybe it was something more. And we dated for about a year. It was very difficult to extricate myself from it because of, I mean, how do you get over someone when they're on every single fucking bus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that must be. And on the radio, like all the time. And also a huge part of it. He, he's, a, he's a very important part of my life. And we'd been friends, as I said, for quite a while before we dated. And so he was integrated into my friend group. So I needed to leave that relationship. I did not want to be in a non-monogamous relationship. I wanted to be in a monogamous relationship and he didn't. So we separated and I lost so much, Samantha, because, and I, and I actually, as I said, because I, I love hard and not very often, I haven't had that many breakups and I, and I really, really wouldn't put one above the other. They've all had an extremely unique aspect to them that I have found excruciatingly painful to integrate and have grown hugely through because obviously we do grow through our pain. But with James, having my friends still be able to go out to the house that he had established in Ibiza and to be uninvited to those things for both of our sanity and all the reasons that you'll understand and gigs that he was doing it was a really I felt so left out I felt so so I was trying to let go of the idea that there was a potential relationship here and at the same time miss out on the fun on the fun you know but we're still we remain great friends today how do you think your friends coped with that because I know a lot of friends you know because I had a lot of joint friends like with my ex-husband and sometimes it's like, you know, 
each of you get some friends and the divorce and then that's it. But it sounds like obviously your friends were going to all these events that you weren't invited to anymore because, you know, it'd be really difficult if you were for both of you yeah. and you needed some space. But did your friends find that difficult? Were they like, oh, should I not go? No. <laughs> it was the climate and our age, you know, we were like, we were like late 20s early 30s nobody cared I had three very loyal girlfriends that while they did continue to hang out with him and take all the fun stuff that comes with having a mate that's made it they were very loyal to me and very good to me and they saw me through my grief I don't think it was a more significantly painful breakup I think as I've said the loss of the life mm-hmm. along with the potential and I you know if we'd never have dated, I'd still be going out to all that fun stuff. I really felt like I'd fucked up. I was like, that was just such a mistake to ever go out with him, you idiot. Why didn't you just keep him in the friend camp? Uh, And the other thing that happened there was that he then started dating someone in my friend group. So a girlfriend of mine then went out with him and I have no judgment of that because actually I'd known his exes before me, two women who I, I like very, very much. I've always liked them very much. One was his girlfriend for a long time while he was writing the music, and then another was his while he 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 made it, and and they still speak to me. But it was painful. It was very painful seeing someone that I knew move into that space. Um, it's not his current wife, who's lovely, Sophia Wellesley's like he dated a, a mate who it also didn't work out with. But one of the things that was really extraordinary for me about that period of time for me was about betrayal because. As I mentioned, he was traveling around the world and didn't particularly want to be in a monogamous relationship. And I was very much, I am a very monogamous person. I can't not be. Doesn't mean I don't sometimes have the odd sort of fantasy about someone else if I'm in a long-term relationship, but I I can't do that. And if I start to actually think about cheating, I know the relationship's over. Yes, so the, the betrayal of them the girlfriend as well and it was a really important period of my life where I started to look at the choices I was making because I started to understand that potentially I was not being true to myself so I could see that the woman that was dating him after me it really hurt me that she did that and there was a bit of me inside that was going how dare she go and like she's better be my friend I was the first person that invited her out do I be that how did that happen so like I was like there, there was that thought and then there was as I said to you the other thought which is that I really loved the women that had dated before and the realization Samantha that I I potentially could have caused them the same pain I don't know that I did but it that that it, I, I was only doing she was only doing to me, and I and I say that lightly because no one does anything to each other. You have to be responsible for yourself. But but what I had done, it was a really life-changing experience because I started to look at my own morals and my own ethics around sex, love, and relationships. And I could see that I had lost my way, actually, because growing up, after what happened to me with the girlfriend that cheated on me with the snog when I went on holiday. I was very loyal. I I won't date someone that a friend of mine has loved. I just won't. And I could see that I'd lost my way, but it was a real pinnacle moment in my own psychological and spiritual development 
where it did take me two to three years to process and get back to myself. But I, 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 I did and I made it and I stopped behaving in some of the ways that I felt were detrimental to my own spirit and potentially to other human beings and started to act with integrity again. And how do you think you made that process of getting back to yourself happen? Were there practical things you did? You said you had three really loyal girlfriends and I know support is really important for all of us when we're in kind of trying times, but do you remember whether specific things you did that helped you in that grief time? Well, in a way, being extricated from my friend group because they were, they chose the fun. I I didn't ask anyone to choose. It wasn't a divorce and there was no need for people to choose. But by not being invited, I was expelled in a weird way from what I'd had before we dated. And that was actually a gift. As painful as it was, it took me out of a group of people who they're still in my life and I love them dearly, but I was in the middle of it and it removed me from being in the middle of it. And I started to come back to my sense of self, not being in this kind of like pack of people in the entertainment industry. And I I threw myself into spiritual development, I suppose. I, I went and I did a lot of yoga. I went and I sought my inner self, my myself that was without the trauma, because when we have traumas, and I've named a few, and some of them are ancestral, and then my own, what can happen is that when these things happen to us that are out of our control, they create a dent in our way of feeling, seeing, or responding to the world. And then you can start to pivot around that trauma. And so that your responses to the world are not from a simple, clean place, little Mika, who has great joy and affection for human beings and and, and humankind in the world, but instead are restricted and come from a place of fear and pain without us even knowing it sometimes we can end up quite mangled so I I dug deep and and just sort of found myself again and it wasn't easy and I grieved my mother because I could see that one of the things I hadn't done since losing my mum six or seven years earlier was probably integrate the fact that she had died and I and I was no longer with a mother. I'd just started to work in the entertainment industry. It's very fast. And I hadn't let myself drop off the face of the earth and really properly grieve. And I think that was becoming quite a big fulcrum that I was pivoting around and making really bad choices from a place of separation rather than like somehow the separation of the loss of my mother meant that I was coming into things without any trust that things could be okay. And then you really start to make really bad choices, I think, you know, if you're coming from there. So I just did that work and it it took me three or four years. And then 
And then, of course, I started Lady Garden Foundation, and, and that was a deeply healing project that raises money for the Royal Marsden Foundation. And 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 we 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 fund research into gynae cancers and specifically ovarian cancer, which is what I lost my mum to. And so that was a final the final part of the healing. But I did, you know, I had I had a really difficult two to three years trying to get serious again about myself. I would say, you know, I've talked about this on my podcast a bit. That, in fact, when I interviewed Dita von Tees, I was like, and, and Chloe Delavine co-hosted that episode, and and we were talking about the waves that you can go through in terms of your integrity towards yourself and the choices you make. And I was saying, I definitely lost my feminist for a bit. And Chloe Delavine, who's a really great mate, was like when when did that happen and i and it was this period when i was in the middle of the wolf pack after mum died and i think i was just really really fucking angry with the world you know my mum who was my best friend and such an astonishing woman i mean really an extraordinary human being who fought for the underdog she dedicated her life to making change for people who didn't have enough and to have lost her i think i was i had a split inside of me that was fueling a desire to not not be close to the world you know not be close to the world and I and in that period of time after that breakup I realized that it wasn't working that I needed to stop and grieve her properly and start to make some choices that were better for myself I stopped drinking actually which really helped I meditated I did yoga and then I started a charity which was probably the most extraordinary thing that I've done. I mean, I love all the projects I do. I love the films I make. I, I love, I love everything about my life. But having started a charity that raises money to save people from cancer is, is a is a legacy that I'm very proud of. And all of that stemmed out of, you know, having a boyfriend that wasn't the right boyfriend. <laughs> it's it's interesting though because uh, my dad died just before I got married, and that that losing a parent is obviously mine was my dad and my mum's still around so it's slightly different but that losing a parent is such a mammoth thing that kind of nothing prepares you for and being in the entertainment industry you're right everything moves so fast and you you can throw yourself into work and just be like oh yeah I'm dealing with it Mm. and and actually taking that time and and dealing with those things you know my dad didn't kind of um wasn't the kind of activist and change maker that your mum was, but my dad was like the funny guy, the life and soul of the party. And I guess that's almost what I was trying to do with my career as a stand-up comedian. And he was such a huge support to me and, you know, would always tell me I was great in things and like give me feedback on my jokes. And and so losing that was, was really strange for me because I was sort of losing that encouragement and that driving Mm. force in some Mm. ways same I really identify yeah and I had to kind of then find that within myself which Mm. was definitely a process well I think also you know when you're in pain when one is in pain and grieving we look for love in the wrong places and I would I don't want to, I would, I've got nothing bad to say about my relationship with James or any of the men I've dated, even though there have been significant challenges in those relationships and they haven't always behaved well and neither have I, neither have I. But I do think that 
some of the decisions that I've made. There's two relationships, and James is one of them, which I would suggest the attachment to that person came out of grief. I did love him. I think he's a great human being. But how much of it is that we recognize something in that person that somehow makes us feel seen or heard or like we're not as ostracized as we felt we were with the experience that we've had? Maybe trying to fill the hole with that other person. Yeah. 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 But, you know, having these relationships in the public eye and being in the public eye yourself how do you find coming out of relationships with that? Because I know since I started this podcast, obviously, and I'm talking about my divorce, my friend showed me, if you type in my name to Google, like one of the top searches is Samantha Bain's husband, because people want to know who this person is that I'm talking about. And, you know, my ex is not famous at all. So that I think there's one article that you can find with a photo, but you won't be able to really find them. But how is you know, with the internet, we're kind of forever linked to, to these people now. And how how do you find kind of removing yourself from that? And, and also the press trying to find you when you're like grieving. It was, it was over 10 years ago that I dated James and, and actually I know, I know for a fact that my post got stolen. So during that period of time, as I said, the press were off the scale, invasive and behaved terribly to anyone with a public profile but it was a long time ago and now I'm very private in fact you know I can I really notice that there's a bit of me that's really uncomfortable talking about this stuff with you because I've kept my relationship super private one of the favorite things one of the photographers when I go out and I get pat they're like why have you never got where's your like really nice handsome chapel your arm and I'm like because it's my it's my private life and I and I don't feel unless it's a very very significant relationship and they want to put a ring on my finger. <laughs> I don't, I just think it's better to keep it, it separate, particularly because of the activism that I do around women's health. I feel I talk about very acute and personal things on the podcast. And I feel protective of my partner, actually, mm. that they're not being brought into the fact that I'm talking about orgasms and vibrators and stuff. Not that they mind, but it's like, you know, it's just, as you say, and, but my funny, my funniest Google is if you Google me, I'm, I'm married to James Blunt and still oh, wow. married to him. If you Google Mika Simmons <laughs> and James Blunt, the internet thinks we got married. One, fake news, fake news. <laughs> and two, we're still married. We were married for 17 years. <laughs> How does his current wife feel about I that? Don't know. I have to ask her, I'll send her a DM. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure she doesn't give a hoot. I think they're very happy. So I'm sure that she doesn't care. But so as far as the internet is concerned, you have a divorce coming up. Yeah. You, yeah. Again, Andy Puddicom <laughs> and James Brunt. Watch out. I am Whoa. coming for you both. <laughs> um well, once you get fake divorced after your fake marriages, uh, you're very welcome back on the podcast to talk about that experience. <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope, I, I I deeply hope that I never, ever have a divorce that I can come and talk to you about here. But that doesn't mean I don't want to get married. That's honestly like the loveliest thing that I want everyone to say. Like, I don't <laughs> want to talk to you on this podcast because I don't ever want to have a divorce. And when I message people, I'm like, have you ever been divorced? Because it's funny because there's no like, unless I know you and I know you, 
Um, but unless I know the person, I you sometimes don't know. Like there's not like a list on the internet of divorced well, people. Clearly, Samantha, if you didn't know me and you were just rooting around, yeah. we hadn't worked together as actresses, and you were just rooting around trying to find someone to come on your podcast, you'd think that I wasn't divorced and that I was still happy married happily to James. Married to James. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Congrats on your happy fake marriage. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone's listening and they've related to kind of your story and and the patterns of trauma, what advice would you give them if they feel like, if someone feels like they're in the midst of that experience? I don't have any advice for anyone going through a breakup other than this too shall pass. You know, God, I mean, if you think about it, from the very beginning of our lives, there is this pattern of separation. So sperm leaves the male body. So that's a separation. And then the sperm is, and I don't know if you know this, people that are listening, but I've got to share this fact, which is that the sperm is not an army of sperms that fight through to get and choose its egg. The egg decides which sperm. (sighs) That is not what we're taught. That is not what we're taught at school. And oh my God, imagine as if all the women in the world were walking around going, yes, I'm just going to let my ex decide which one of you sperm a loser. Because we're taught, we're taught the like the fastest, strongest sperm wins. Of course we are, because it's a patriarchal education wow. system. Wow. You've blown wow. my mind wow. right at the end of this wow. episode. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so the egg opens up and lets the sperm in. But that is a separation. Sperm leaves male body, percolates with the egg. Then you leave the womb, separation. Mm-hmm. Possibly don't get all your needs met because we're human. Then you have the first separation that you have from your mother when you she goes off or whatever the thing. Anyway, I think you get my point is that we have these series of separations that can create what is known as psychologically separation anxiety. So when you go through a breakup, it's not just that breakup that your responses, your emotional response is to. It's also all the layers of separation that you've had throughout your life being what they call triggered, which is a bit of an icky word, but it's a good word because it explains that these past experiences that you've had of separation, all the separations you've had, and I've just named two factual ones. If you if you are a human on this earth, you definitely were born out of the separation from body. So then you're going to have had all of your separations that you've gone through, through your entire life that just sit there unless you really heal them. And I think that's really important when we say this too shall pass it's you're not just processing the loss of that person you're no doubt also having an opportunity and it is an opportunity if you take it to deeply process some past hurts some past losses some past separations as I did with my breakup with James where I basically was like okay I've really got to go and grieve my mother and I think that really is 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 significant in how to deal with a breakup and and I suppose underneath that is I say go deep, let it, let it in, let the pain in so that you can come out like a butterfly because that's what's on offer. You know, what's for you won't go by you. I really believe that what's for you won't go by you. So if you are coming out of a breakup, it's likely that God is doing for you what you could not do for yourself, especially if they've left you. And 
that you're being forced into the next stage of your life. And that, and sometimes, I mean, I'm very loyal. So I'll stay in a relationship for 10 years longer than I should do just because I just don't, I just, I'm really, I I always think I can make it work. (laughs) Sure. I can make this work. This thing that's like not working. And, and, and sometimes God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And, and I think it takes at least six to nine months to start getting an inkling of what that thing is, that new thing that you're meant to be doing. It's because life is actually cyclical and we get stuck in these really embedded ruts of, of trying to make things work when actually maybe there's a new horizon for you. Maybe there's like a really amazing, exciting new way of life or new experience or new relationship or new job or something for you if you can just hang in there and wait for it to appear for you with hard work I don't think things just like turn up on your lap I think you have to put the work in process decide on what the things are you want for your life get back to work and go and go and go and have a life beyond your wildest dreams. I mean, what an incredible place to finish the podcast. <laughs> I'm excited to have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Um, Sam's like, I want to get divorced again. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Um, Rika, thank you so much. Where can people um, listen to your podcast, find you, find the charity? I'm an Instagram person. So you can find me at, at Miss Mika Simmons. And also the podcast has a really great community on Instagram. It's at the happy vagina. That is really important. We've got some people copying us just called happy vagina. They're not us. We are the happy <laughs> vagina and we are on every single podcast platform. So you can listen to us anywhere. And we do a really diverse range of interviews, people, human beings who have done something pioneering or inspiring in the female space so go have a listen amazing well thank you so much thanks for having me samantha baines this has been great you're so (laughs) welcome thank you hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Oh hi. Thank you for listening to the Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you 
can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month. And it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90s-style divorce and heartbreak chat room. And there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast, and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines. And please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.